Good morning, everyone. How about them dogs? So here's my guarantee. I guarantee you three things. Number one, I guarantee you Georgia's going to win the national championship. Just so just it's already out there. It's being live streamed. The whole world is watching. Uh, number two, I guarantee you that if they don't, I'll have COVID the Sunday after and won't be able to be with you. And if they do, and I do have COVID, I'll be here anyway, hugging, shaking hands, kissing anyone who would want to be kissed. Um, my son and I have already decided we're going to destroy, there will be property destroyed somehow um, if, they, if they win. Happy New Year, y'all. My name is Chris, the lead pastor here, at least for the time being at Trinity, and I'm glad to be with you. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. Um, Many of you have probably seen our updates and heard and seen the signs. And I just want to say that, you know, Damien probably brought the home point very clearly that we even have a lot of our volunteers are out sick with COVID. Uh, thankfully, not, not terribly sick, but sick enough to be contagious and quarantined. So our fourth and fifth graders, you guys are in here uh, with us today. And um, we have, because of the city mandate, moved to a mask uh, mandatory season uh, in the life of our church. And we are as bummed about that as you likely are. Um, we're just trying to be good citizens and do our part. The good news is um, it seems like uh, even though APS is going back to virtual, all of that, it looks like a relatively, hopefully a short window of time where we're dealing with some upheaval. So um, our commitment is to keep doing this and we ask you to wear a mask. If you didn't bring a mask, we've got some by the doors, the entrances, and hopefully we're going to be back to um, a situation that feels more like normal soon. That is my prayer and my hope. In the meantime, I just don't want to be breaking the law. Um, I don't want the mayor coming in here and getting us. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to John 1. We're going to read verses 35 to 42. If you have your, um, um, your flyer, it's got a different text, and we just pivoted because we actually taught from that text last week, so we don't want to do it two weeks in a row. It would be weird. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And so they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which translated as anointed. And he brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Lord, we pray and thank you for uh, not just the Bible. We are so thankful for the Bible, God, but we're thankful uh, for these, um, these beautiful accounts in the Bible that give us a look at Jesus and people, and Jesus, how you are with people. And we pray, God, that the way you were, Jesus, with these two people, that we would get a sense that you long to be the same way with us. And so pray, Lord, today that you would help us to build a bridge or for your Holy Spirit to build a bridge between the ancient world of the Bible and our own world our Monday, our day-to-day. Our -day. In Jesus' name, we thank you, God, for insight, and we ask for it now. Amen. Amen. This is one of those 
passages in the Bible that is so often, I think, overlooked because like nothing much happens. We're actually not told anything other than that two guys spend a day with Jesus and we're not told what they did or what they said or what happened. Um, And so a lot of times what happens is we just kind of go right past it because of that. But for me, um, this passage has become a very significant one uh, in my own life. And um, I hope that today you're able to receive something from, from God as we think together and, and we look together at the scripture. Um, I'm only going to say a few things and they'll come up on the, on the slide like normal. And I just want to reiterate the, the way that I specifically engage um, slides or sermon notes. It's not to give you everything that you could ever think about in a text. The, the goal here is actually to give you a way of engaging the Bible that would help you be a Bible reader yourself. Um, if you've ever spent time in the woods um, sometimes when you're on a trail, there'll be a little stack of rocks up beside the trail. If you've ever seen those, don't ever kick those over. Um, a lot of times uh, people think, oh, look, that's weird. And then they, they kick them over. Those are called uh, cairns and they're there as a marker, a trail marker that people who have traveled before stack it up so you know you're on the right track. The way that I engage slides, it's like I'm building little cairns that we put up beside so that you can see the mo- movements or the moments of movement in a text. And what I hope is that you'll learn to build your own cairns when you read the Bible, that you'll be able to navigate very intuitively through a text and see these things that the Lord wants you to see. So that's all we're going to do is highlight a few things that'll get us through and help us see some, some things. So here's the first one. Um, curiosity is at the very heart of following Jesus. If you look at this text from, from a very practical perspective, you've got John, the cousin of Jesus, and Jesus is walking past, and John the baptizer points at um, his cousin, he points at Jesus, and he says, look, or if you have a, an older Bible, it, it says something like, behold, like a really um, bold word, an assertive word, behold the Lamb of God. And so what we see very simply is that two people hear that, and then they leave John, and they start to follow Jesus. They, they quite literally start to follow him because they're curious. And their curiosity is because someone they trust told them that they should check this guy out. And some of you are probably in this room because once upon a time, someone you trusted said you should think about Jesus. Some of us are maybe asking those questions right now. We're thinking, I need something. Um, For many people, faith um, is preceded by an awareness of some need, a, a sense that something's not quite right or something feels off or something feels incomplete. Well, these disciples of John are curious enough to check Jesus out. Now, what we know in the first chapter of John is Jesus has not preached sermons. He's not done public miracles. His ministry only begun the day before he was baptized. And so there's this sense in which Jesus is only a person about whom they are curious. So the first thing is curiosity is at the very heart of following Jesus. Now, here's what I know. Curiosity ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's high. You may be in a place right now to where you're really motivated. You feel really curious about what God's going to do in your life in 2022. Maybe you feel um, really passionate about God, but maybe you don't. I'll admit to you right now that I'm at a low point when it comes to innate curiosity. And that's why for me, 
the rhythms and structures of daily devotion are so important because you will inevitably go through times where your curiosity meter is low. And that's where you have certain patterns of practice in your life, certain rhythms in your life that will help you show up and create an environment that is conducive to being curious again. See, I think it does us no good to fake extreme curiosity all the time because that's just not how it works. There are times where you just don't feel it. When I'm not feeling it, which is kind of now, I feel tired and I feel some disorientation, some discouragement, like a lot of people do for different reasons. I show up most every morning and I sit quietly with my Bible in my lap. And right now I'm not even reading the daily lectionary, the readings on the back of your flyer. I just can't do it. I don't want to read the prophets and the law. (laughs) I don't even want to read the epistles. I'm reading I went and bought a red letter Bible for the first time since I was in middle school. Because I want to read Jesus and I want to read the poetry of the prayer book of the church, the Psalms. So that's all I'm doing right now. The Psalms and the Gospels, the Psalms and the Gospels, and specifically the red letters. Because I want to see God stir curiosity in me. So what my rhythms look like right now in a low curiosity season is that I read until a spark comes and then I just sit still and say, God, would you stir my heart and make me curious today? Would you wake up my heart to be with you? You know, there are all kinds of things that make us sleepy, that dampen curiosity. Grief dampens curiosity. Fear dampens curiosity. Obsessive consumption dampens curiosity, whether that's alcohol or food or drugs or TV or your phone. All kinds of things work to dampen. And not all of it is sin. Sometimes it's just things are hard. And I would just say to you, God's deepest desire for you is that you be curious. But a desire that God has that sits right next to it is that you would also know how you're doing and be able to acknowledge when you're not feeling very curious, whether that's through grief or loss or sin. And be able to hold that in front of him and say, I am where I am. How can I build some spaces in my life that help me show up? One of the great invitations of God for you and me this year is to show up and to be honest and to create opportunities for the Lord to stir curiosity. So these two guys literally just sort of follow. And if you can imagine the story, Jesus is walking And they're behind him. And that leads us to the second movement in the text. The second movement is Jesus notices that they're following him. And he turns around and he says something. He says, what are you looking for? Do you know these are the first recorded words of Jesus in the gospel? In Mark, the first recorded words are, what do you want? So like we're two for two of Jesus looking at people and asking them what it is that they deeply desire. And I find it interesting that to curious people, Jesus turns and he says, what do you really desire? What do you really want me to do? If I were to do something for you, Jesus is saying, what, what, would, what would you want it to be? And I would just say to you, it would be good for you to have an answer to that question. What do you want? If Jesus were going to do something for you, what would you want him to do in this season in your life? And I think the more specific we can get about that, the better. If we just say, I want health, or I want success, or I want peace, it's hard to measure that because it can stretch out. That can stretch out decades. I think that Jesus turned to these two fellows and he was asking a very specific question about a very specific season in their life that day. And he was like, what do you want me to do? 
So if he were to ask you the same question, would you have an answer? Do you know what you need from him? I'll admit to you that I rarely am able to access an answer to this question. Um, I've spent most of my life just doing what I thought was right or doing what I thought was needed. I mean, I got into planting. I planted this church with a group of friends 20 years ago, and it was not out of some lightning bolt of revelation. I remember thinking, well, there needs to be a church. There aren't lots of churches in the city. I like the city. And God led us through that process. Like here we are 20 years later, like God was good. God led, but we never really accessed. I didn't what do I really deeply desire Jesus to do? I just sort of kind of bumped along. And maybe you're like that. A lot of us have bumped along. And then you get to a point in life to where you're like, I don't know. I think I need to know what it is that I want Jesus to do for me. There's nothing magical about the flip of a calendar. I mean, Bono probably said it best when he said, nothing changes on New Year's Day. Like New Year's Day, January, it's just another day. And yet for us, it does give us an opportunity to ask the question, what do I really want? If I wanted something or needed something from Jesus, what would it be? I think we need to actually tend to that question. So when Jesus says, what do you want? They could have said anything, right? <laughs> they could have said, we want wisdom. We want answers. We want the secret to life. We want, they could have said anything. But the third movement in this text is they just said, where are you living? It's a weird answer to the question. They, they answer the question with a question. And what they're really saying is, would you not give us more information, but would you give us access to your life? And we're not told what happens. All we're told is they spent a whole day with Jesus. <laughs> like, I, I'm so curious. I mean, I really would love to have known. Like they spent four o'clock in the afternoon. Like it's just this bizarre text with so much space in it. But what they were really saying to Jesus is, would you give us access to you? This is where I think we have to actually say that if we want to move forward in our lives, we want to get unstuck, if we want to find our, our way curious, if we want to see the curiosity grow rather than diminish, if we, we have to actually learn what it means to spend some unhurried time with Jesus. Before we can do that, though, we have to want to do that, or at least we have to know that that's the thing he's inviting us to ask for. Now, Jesus could have said anything. I mean, he could have said, no, just buy my book, or just listen to the podcast, or he could have said no. Uh, but the fourth thing we see in this passage is Jesus utters a phrase that is so meaningful in the gospel. He just says, come and see. He, he, he says the same thing that later on Mary would say to him when Jesus asks her, where have you laid him? When she was at the graveside of her brother Lazarus. And she could have also said, it's too late, or I'm, I'm fine, or let's go inside and have a casserole. But she says to Jesus, come and see. It's a come and see in the Bible. Is a, it's an invitation for you to enter into unhurried and unstructured space. It's an invitation for you to go to the darkest place, to the scariest place, or, or in this instance, to go to an unstructured, non-epic place place. Come and see. And I've just been struck in my own life about 
what Jesus is getting at. When he says, come and see, what he's really saying is, if you want unhurried access to me, I will give you that. I think the thing that I've been asking myself is, do I really want unhurried access to God or do I just want the answer? Because a lot of times we, I think we just want the answer. I, I think part of um, what got me to a place of profound burnout was feeling like I was so trafficked with so many things to do that I lost sight of leisure. I lost sight of this unhurried thing that God's always inviting us to enter into. Are you hurried? And I, and I don't even mean like just your schedule. I, I just mean like, are you hurried here? And are you hurried here? Like, are we um, always kind of humming and buzzing? I think too often the answer to that is yes. And one of the things that I think I'm learning right now in my life is that without some unhurried space, we will not be people of peace. We, we won't even really know what we want or what we desire or what we need from Jesus. We'll just kind of buzz our way through life with a hum of, of activity or anxiety around us. I think for me, one of the things that I've been so aware of having stepped out of it is that I was really, really anxious. There's a Psalm where it says that we've been sitting and eating the bread of anxious toil. And that picture has been an abiding picture of me. It's like a picture of, of us all kind of crammed around a table with anxious food, just sort of just gobbling it up. I think that's what our world is always doing. It's serving up anxious toil. And one of the things that I think unhurried space does for us is it gives us this opportunity to disrupt the circuit and to push back from the table and say, I'm not eating that anymore. Not now. So do you have space? And I'm going to be really honest with you. When I sit every morning with my coffee and, and my Bible, and I ask the question as I'm reading the Gospels or the, the Psalms, like, what, what is it that you want to show me? Um, I can't sustain that for a super, super long time. Like, after about 20 or 30 minutes, I start to get distracted, and then I read the latest, like, you know, article on Bleacher Report about, you know, Georgia's chances of winning a national championship, and then the next thing you know, you're on Instagram, and it's over, right? Your kids are up, or your friends are up, or whatever. And so, for me, that's like a finite thing that I do to orient myself in truth. And then I usually spend some time during my day outside. I have a 100-pound American bulldog that if I don't walk her, her name is Jolene after the Dolly Parton song. She creates problems. So I will go for walks with my dog, and it's me and Joe and Jesus. Like we're out there together. That's unhurried space for me where my heart and my mind Sometimes it's exercise, sometimes it's a conversation, sometimes it's reading. I'm reading a book right now by a, a psychologist in Australia. It's the second time through this book. It's probably the most helpful book for me on a personal development level in my time away by a woman named Jenny Brown called Growing Yourself Up. It's just amazing. I, I meet God when I read that book because I'm learning and growing and Jesus is speaking to me through true things, helpful things. You have to have unhurried space. To be fully human, you have to do it. And none of us get to say, well, I can't do that. You have to if you want to grow. If, you don't, if you're not ready, that's okay. But to be the person who's curious and knows what you're looking for, you really need some space. And that gets us to this idea of leisure. And I found myself accidentally forsaking leisure because I didn't think I had time. 
And it's just not about time. Leisure is a frame of mind where you carve out some time. So it could be long showers. If you have children who bother you everywhere but the shower, you know, run the bill up and sit in there and be alone for a little bit. It could be lunch at work where you sit in your car with Chick-fil-A and you have 30 minutes of silence. Like it could be that. It could be walks. It could be stretching and exercise. It could be reading. It could be whatever it is that matches your stage of life. I'm actually not going to be terribly prescriptive because you got to figure it out. You're grown up. We got to figure out what it means to have unhurried space. Joseph Pieper wrote a book called uh, Leisure, and he says this about leisure. Leisure is a mental and spiritual attitude. It is not the result of external factors. It's not the inevitable result of spare time, a holiday, a weekend, or a vacation. It is, in the first place, an attitude of the mind, a condition of the soul. And Alan Fadling um, who, who actually is in our diocese. He's a part of Churches for the Sake of Others and a colleague and a friend of, of mine um, who lives on the West Coast. He said this in his book, An Unhur- The Unhurried Life, which I would commend to you. It's a fantastic book. Fadling says this, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, whether we are currently hit by storm or not, at three miles an hour. It's the speed we walk, and therefore it is the speed the love of God walks which I just find that so interesting. If you go for a walk and you're not anxious, you're walking at about three miles an hour. And Fadling says, that's how how God's love moves. It moves slow. So if you're not moving slow, you're out of pace. And when you get out of step, bad things happen. Burnout happens. Moral failure happens. Anxiety happens. Things that disquiet us. And I believe that as we stand here at the beginning of a new year, we're invited to create and enter into unhurried space with Jesus where we learn more about what we desire and we become more curious. Here's the last thing. Jesus, we don't know what he says, preaching. We don't know what he did. But what we do know is the fifth thing in this text is that he changed Peter into Peter. He he changed someone's name. And the word Cephas means rock. And so what I deduce from that is that something happened during that unhurried space that made Peter more substantial, made him more solid. And who among us doesn't want to be a bit more substantial? I mean, you know, we feel very wispy sometimes, just blown around. And what we see here is that curiosity and unhurried space and Jesus come together to make us sturdy. They make us more sturdy than we would otherwise be. And I think we all need that. I think we need it. If you're able, let's stand together.